If you have a Bible, I'm going to be speaking out of Luke chapter 5. Verse 17 to 16, the message entitled, um, Man's Greatest Need, Forgiveness. Luke records for us here the forgiveness of the, and the healing of the paralytic. Uh, the other two synoptics, Matthew 9 and Luke 2, also give us that account. But let me read it here and we'll walk through it and we'll see an amazing thing that takes place here. Verse 17 down to 26, it says, Now it happened on a certain day. As he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, Because of the crowd, they went up on the rooftop and they let him down uh, with his bed through the um, tiling in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemous? Who can forgive sin but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise. Take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he had been laying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Notice in verse 17, the religious rulers came to witness the ministry of Jesus. They were always following to find some fault. Um, Jesus was teaching on one day. It's just as a certain day. The day is unknown. But as usual, he is in his ministry at Galilee. He is uh, from day to day teaching, preaching. He's been healing, casting out demons, uh, preaching the kingdom of God's at hand. And the occasion took place as he was teaching uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus uh, came to his own city. So Matthew 9.1 tells us it was Capernaum. Mark 2.1 says it by name. This is where Jesus um, let his ministry flourish. It was a very commerce city, a very uh, important city, a lot of traffic back and forth. There was a tax collecting office there, military, different things. But notice... Preston sitting in the crowd, and not by coincidence, were these Pharisees and teachers of the law. They're sitting there with a critical eye trying to find fault. And there are a lot of people who look to what God is doing in every generation, and they look to find fault, even within the Christian community, not just the secular community. They will say, well, you know, this is just a fad that's going on. Well, you know, these guys are using just, you know, things that that attract the kids 
fleshly and they're not really born again. And you've got all kinds of things. Now, on the one side, there is a reality. You have to be careful what you hear and how you hear Jesus said. Because there is a lot today that's being proclaimed that is not gospel. It's pop gospel. It's pop psychology. So you need to be discerning if you're a Christian on what and how you hear. But the gospel has power to save as we're going to see. We don't understand how it all works, how God does this. But we know that God can do it in every generation. Because he's the only one that deals with our hearts and with the souls and the spirits of man. These Pharisees, um, there was no more than 6,000 at one time, Josephus tells us. Their origin came out of the Babylonian captivity. Remember, they went to captivity because they had broken the law. And uh, so there was a, a rise of those who were going to protect the law no matter what, so they wouldn't go back into captivity ever again, breaking the law. So they took the law and they interpreted it and they codified it into all these volumes of the law. But the problem is they put these interpretations around the law to kind of protect the law. And they began to say, well, you know, this fence, this interpretation and codified oral law really is protecting the law. So really the fence becomes of more holier. And so they began to worship their interpretations at contradiction of the law. And this is always the case when we try to add to God's word. God's word doesn't need any addition. Scripture interprets scripture. We have 66 books. And when you go book to book, they have a central message. You have a central theme and message from Genesis Revelation, a red thread that speaks about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And if you follow that all the way through, it will be very, very clear. It will be obvious and you won't need any man-made things or opinions. And when somebody gives you something, they should be able to point to Scripture within its context. Now, these individuals here, they're critical. They're not looking to commend Jesus. They're not after Jesus. They want to find fault with Jesus. Um, notice they came from various regions. Um, uh, out of every town, Galilee, uh, Judea, and Jerusalem. Uh, Galilee is the northern region. Um, to the north, there's a beautiful area. Uh, Judea is down south, and Jerusalem is the very city of David. This is the capital. Uh, this is where... Um, all the Pharisees uh, attended the temple there. Uh, the temple of Solomon had been rebuilt by Ezra, Nehemiah, and beautified by Herod. An incredible building. And notice the power of the Lord was present to heal them, it says at the end of 17. Um, this is always in view of, of, of petitions of faith. Where God listens to people as they pray to God... And when they come to God in faith, now faith does not mean goosebumps. Faith does not mean that you really, really mean it. Faith means that you believe what God has revealed about himself in the word of God. So biblical faith always points you back to the revelation of God. Today, too often in the church today, especially the emergent church, faith is unbiblical. So if you say you're exercising biblical faith then you better point to Scripture in context. If you're a non-believer tonight, the Bible says that you're a sinner. You fall short of the glory of God. Your sin separates you from God. God's wrath rests upon you. But that He loved you so much that He gave His only Son to die in your place, that He took the wrath of His Father in your place, paid the price of sin, 
died, rose from the dead, and now there's only salvation in one way, one name, one mediator. The gospel is very clear, but very, very narrow. God is not politically correct. And he doesn't apologize for it. So, you have to make a decision now. Do you believe the word of God, or do you believe the opinions of men? And this is the decision you're making tonight. The decision you make tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ, is whether you agree with God, or whether you think you're smarter than God. And that decision regarding Jesus Christ will determine where you spend eternity. God gave His Son that whosoever believes in Him. The word whosoever does not mean the elect, the chosen, frozen. It means anyone. Okay? So when somebody tells you that God predestined a certain number of people from the foundation of the world to heaven, and there's nothing they can do about it, they're going to heaven... Versus that Jesus died for all men and women. And whoever believes and repents is saved. I'll go with faith and repentance. Any day. Because the Bible always says faith comes first, then regeneration. Not regeneration, faith, and then regeneration. That's a man-made theology. Alright? So if you're going to be biblical, then you've got to point to the word of God. It's a very narrow way. The disciples ask Jesus, are there many to be saved? He says, few there be that find it. Agonize to enter in. Straight and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Not because God has saved the few by predestination, but because men reject the offer of salvation. It's real simple. If you could talk to people in hell right now, this afternoon... Every one of them will tell you they could have gone to heaven they chose to go to hell. There's smart people there. Brilliant people there. Rich people there. Poor people there. Good moral people are there. We don't get to heaven because we're good. We get to heaven because we agree that we're good for nothing. Okay? And that we need deliverance from our sins and forgiveness. So, he's always there based on petitions of faith. What God reveals about his word, what he will do. And it's always also an option for God to move sovereignly whenever he wants to do something. We see in the scriptures Jesus healing often. Even when people aren't even expecting it, he just heals them. Sovereignty of God means he, he does what he wills, when he wills, as he wills, to whoever he wills, as often as he will, and whenever he wills. But he never violates his attributes. And whatever he does, it can't contradict his holiness. He's perfect. And it's always to work for your good, never for your evil. He's a God of love. He's a God of justice. He's a God of holiness. And he made a real payment through his son. That's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Because for the first time in a way that we'll never understand that we get there, God the Son was separated from the Father for the first time from all eternity. For you and for me. So next time you question if God loves you, get your eyes on the cross. Amen. And you'll find out exactly how much He loved you. He died for the ungodly. I presume you qualify. <laughs> wow. 
Now notice the particular, or the paralytic here was uh, brought to Jesus for healing in 1819. And in 18, the man brought the paralytic with his bed to present him to Jesus. Um, and Mark tells us that there were four men, four good friends, Mark 2, 3. And the men, his friends here, were looking to see him to be healed. They had no idea. They, they, their intention was not saying, oh, come on. Like, you know, the need is, look, he's crippled. That's the need. Listen to me. If Jesus heals you, you have cancer, you're ready to die, and he heals you, you're going to die in a couple of years more. I'll give you a hundred. How's that compared to eternity? But he forgives you of your sins. You will never die. You just move. Where's the priority? You see, we put our eyes upon the physical, upon the here and now. Jesus looks at the eternity. Because when you make that decision, especially as young people, as you are, you have no idea what God has in store for you in life. Even better, you have no idea what life has waiting for you. Some of you are going to encounter very difficult times in your life if God tarries. And he wants to save you to prepare your heart to be used for the glory of God. So that you can be used as an example of what a Christian is to be. He alone can do that. He knows the end from the beginning. So, they're, they're looking for a healing. In 19, the crowds were so great that they couldn't enter the house. I mean, Jesus is teaching, packed out there. And, and so they're going to lower him through the roof. So you can see these guys, they're going to the outside. And, they, and there's stairs on those, on those houses. And it leads to the rooftop. And they're flat and they hang their clothes and do different things. They sit up there in the Middle East. We don't do it out here in the United States. But, um, you know, they're going up the stairs. And Mark 2, 4 tells us they made an opening in the roof. And... They start lowering him down, and you can imagine debris coming down from the roof. They are so tenacious to get him healed that the crowds don't stop him. These are great friends. There, some believe this could have been Peter's house, and it could have been, we don't know. But, but just stop and think, you, you've got Jesus at your house, and, and you just put this new roof on. <laughs> you're not going to look up and say, oh, bless the Lord, isn't that good? No, you're not going to say that. They were expecting to see him healed. The response of Jesus and the reaction of the religious rulers is next. Look at verse 20 and 21. In 20, Jesus saw the faith of the paralytic friend and bringing the paralytic to be healed. As is stated here, when he saw their faith, their faith, the faith of the four friends. Sometimes God heals directly to the person's faith. He told a woman of the issue of blood, your faith has made you whole. Other times God heals by the prayers of others. And you have nothing to do with it. And then at other times, God heals just because he's going to heal you. 
So we, we want all these little formulas, all these little nifty little theological packages. Do you take note when you read the gospel that Jesus never healed anybody the same way twice? To the men in the pool of Bethsaida, he, he told them to get up and walk. He gave lame excuse, but I don't have nobody to say, do you want to be healed? Of course I want to be healed. We'll get up. To one of the blind men, he, he just touched him, go wash. To the other one, he spit in his eyes. Now, if you want to know the formula, how did he do it? Did, did, he, did he spit in his face and then throw the dirt in his eyes? Or did he go in his hand and then put the dirt and then in his eye? I mean, if you want to know the formula. But Jesus did it different so that you can't put him in a box. It's the power of His will and His word, not the methodology. We think we're so smart. We have God all figured out. And God says, you guys are just all messed up. Amazing. But He does hold Himself bound to the boundaries of Scripture. He never contradicts His word. A God that is unlimited has limited himself for a set time to the word of God so that you can always be sure when it's God who is speaking and acting. He'll hold you responsible for nothing but his word. His will is revealed in his word. Not in emotions, not in circumstances, not in feelings, not in emotions. Nothing like that. Now, notice Jesus then declared his sins were forgiven. Man, your sins are forgiven. He first dealt with the most important need of man. To get right with God, the vertical axis. Sin separates from, from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, God's hand is not short that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your sins have separated you from God. Psalm 66, 18 says, if you regard iniquity in your heart, God will not hear you, nor I. What is it that we don't understand? So I've got to get rid of that sin. How do I do it? If I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Wow. Now I don't know where you've been. I don't know how you lived. But when I was your age, I've been into a lot of things. This is a long time ago. I've been a Christian for about 42 years. Today's generation, you guys have been into a lot more than I ever was at your age. And the greatest thing you need is to know that your sins can be forgiven. That the blood of Jesus Christ can wash you and make you whiter than snow. He says whiter than snow because every snowflake has a dirty heart that's wrapped around a speck of dust. When Jesus gets done with your sins, whiter than snow. All you'll remember, others will remember, others will accuse you. But the Father and the Son say, you're mine. You are guiltless of anything you've done. I'm going to make you my son and my daughter by grace through faith. Wow. This was a priority. Now, this required faith. Now, we're not told, but when he speaks to him, 
This faith had to come from the paralytic himself now. The four friends cannot believe to save him. If you're a parent, you have a child, and your child is not walking, you want him saved. But you can't have faith for him to be saved. Faith for salvation is personal. You must make that decision. You must call upon the Lord. No one can believe for you. Someone can believe that you might be healed and pray for you, and God in His grace does it. But salvation is individual. God doesn't save in family packages. One at a time. Notice in 21, the scribes and the Pharisees accused Jesus of speaking blasphemous. This is radical. They reason in themselves with a critical spirit to find fault in Jesus. They reason. In other words, they were thinking this. No words were uttered. But Jesus is God. No one had to tell him what was going on. He could read every thought. Psalm 139 says that God knows my thoughts from their origin. I don't get them till they get here. Wow. It's from the heart that precedes evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, and so forth. The problem that we have as sinful men and women is our heart. What God's trying to do is reach our heart, but he does it through the ear gate. He says, take heed what you hear, how you hear. The gospel offers forgiveness of your sins by grace through faith. Your heart is the soil that God wants that seed to grow. If your heart is hard, it can't penetrate. And Satan will pull that seed out, but by your permission. If you're hearing the gospel, he's dealing with your heart that you need forgiveness. And you will have to make a decision whether you agree with God or that you think you're smarter than God. He won't force you to go to heaven. You have all the right to go to hell. But he doesn't want you to go to hell. And so the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart, trying to woo you to repent, to change your mind, to change your life by trusting Jesus Christ to transform you. They declared only God could forgive sins, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemous? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Bingo. He's God. But they don't believe he's God. If you do not believe that Jesus is God, your faith does you no good. It's not biblical faith. The call to repentance is based that he is God who became man. In the beginning was the word. The word was of God. God was the word. Verse 14 of John 1 says, And the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. He was the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2, 5, on down, says, Being in the form of God. It's an antecedental condition. He was God before he left. He was God when he was here. And he's God when he left and went back. He didn't think it to be robbery with God, but he made himself equal. And it was no insult to the Father because he was God. He emptied himself of his glory, not his deity. And he took on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the death of the cross. So a name has been given to him above every other name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue confesses Jesus Christ is Lord. Wow. He sits at the right hand of the Father, place of all glory, all authority. He's not biting his nails. 
but he's ministering to save men and women from one generation to another until he returns for his bride. Notice in 22 through 24, the response of Jesus to the scribes and the Pharisees. He deals with the real problem. What is it? Their hearts. Now, do you think Jesus wanted the Pharisees to be born again the scribes? Of course he did. He died for them too. In 22, Jesus revealed they said nothing aloud, as I said. But he, they were thinking it. He perceived their thoughts. He reveals their evil heart. Why are you reasoning in your hearts? The problem is what's in your heart will go to your brain and will come out your tongue sooner or later. Sometimes we think we're in control, but then we get unguarded and all of a sudden, where'd that come from? Your heart. You, you have no intellectual problem with God tonight. You're not that smart. The problem is your heart. That's the problem. Jeremiah says that the heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked above all things. Only God knows the depths of it. Jeremiah 79. It's the heart of man. 23, Jesus posed a question to them. They had a very obvious answer that would reveal Jesus was God. Jesus posed the question knowing exactly which one they would choose. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven to you or to say, rise up and walk? Well, the easiest is to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because you don't have to give any evidence. And he knew they were going to say that. And so Jesus then gave the visible evidence to validate the authority they just questioned. Who is this? Only God can forgive sins. And he does the physical to verify the authority that he has over the non-visible. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this man? He's the son of man. God who became flesh. Just like the first Adam. Called the last Adam. And Jesus commanded the man to be healed. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you. Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Wow. Immediately when he said that, the confirmation of Jesus' authority as God hit everybody. The man was healed immediately in verse 25. Immediately he rose before them, took up what he had been laying on, and he departed to his own house. The healing was the evidence to prove that he had authority to forgive sins. A miracle right before the rise. He left glorifying God, knowing that Jesus was God. Now, everybody seeing that miracle, everybody hearing the gospel, I'm sure there's some, it didn't even penetrate their heart, and they did not receive Jesus Christ. Two men at the cross, two thieves, both equally distant. Both heard the same Words from Jesus. One repented, one did not. What's the problem? The heart. The Holy Spirit is there to convict, to turn us. But he won't turn you 
you must say, Lord, save me. Because God respects your will. He will not force you to go to heaven. You must make that choice based on God's word of what he's done for you through Jesus Christ. 26, the response of the people was also immediately noticed. The people responded with reverence. They were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear. Amazing means to be to throw the mind out of the normal state. Astonished. This isn't normal for a paralytic to stand up and walk. Pick up his bed. They glorify God as they were filled with fear. Phobos. We get the word phobia from a terror. Dread. The first is when you believe that it is God who died for you. And you understand how much sin separates you from him. There will be fear of God. Fear is healthy. Good common sense fear will keep you from a lot of stupid stuff in the world. Blood and guts only get you so far, then they get you killed. (laughs) It's just that simple. They feared because they knew he was God. They did so having seen strange things today, it says. The word is paradoxos. Incredible. Seemingly contradictory. We get our word paradox from it. A seeming contradiction. Because it's not out of the common norm to see this stuff. People don't tell people to get up and walk every day. People don't tell people every day your sins are forgiven. Who is this man? Just who he said he was. As he preached in the synagogue of Nazareth. That he was the Messiah. Whose anointing was coming from the spirit. And he came to preach the good news and the good tithings. That is who Jesus is. And he asks you tonight. Do you believe That I am the son of God who died for you. Who paid the price for your sins. And that I alone know every sin you've ever committed. And I alone can make you whiter than snow. And I alone can give you eternal life. Do you believe this? That decision will determine where you spend eternity, ladies and gentlemen. Regardless of your age. Regardless how little you think you've sinned. One sin is enough. Just being born into this world condemns you. You're a sinner. You missed the mark. Your parents didn't have to sit you down at six years old and teach you how to lie or steal. You did that automatically. They had to teach you not to do it. You know why? Because you're the children of your parents. They're sinners too. And they brought in little sinners into the world. Every time a woman brings a little kid in, brings another rotten little sinner. No woman's ever brought in a perfect kid. We're sinners by nature. God loves us so much that he gives us the opportunity. So again, I don't know where you're here tonight. You might have come, well, Lord, you know, I got to do this. Or maybe God will do this. Your greatest need tonight is to be forgiven of your sin. Sin separates you from God. Until you get the vertical axis right, you might as well forget the horizontal plane. All you try to match up and fix up with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, with this, with that, and everything else, is from the perspective of what's best for you. How can I get over? How can I do this and all that? And you're living for yourself. 
You've got to get right with God so He can forgive you of your sin. You know you're walking with God. And then it's the will of God and the Word of God that's going to lead your life. And you make decisions based to the honor and the glory of God. And then you'll see a difference in your life. Not until then. Try as you may, it won't work. And the further you travel, the worse you'll get and the more frustrated it will be. Because there's none good, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so Jesus knocks at the door of your heart tonight. Do you agree with me that you're a sinner? Do you believe that I am the Savior of the world? Do you believe that I can give you eternal life? If you do, then your faith is biblical. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved by grace through faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and your love, your goodness. We pray you just deal with us, Lord, and we thank you for this time. And more for your word that is able to penetrate our hearts, Lord. And so I pray for every young person here, an older person, Lord, that your will would be done. You would speak to them. And that they might open their heart to you and call on your name, Lord. As you're praying, if God has spoken to you, make sure this is not an emotional decision. This is because you know that God has so allowed you to see yourself in need of salvation. That you know that he's the son of God, the savior of the world who died for you. Then that is the grace of God by the spirit of God to make that known to you. So if you want to be born again, the condition is always repentance. We are saved by grace through faith, but it isn't cheap. God the Son paid the price. The condition of salvation is repentance, acknowledging your sin and asking them to forgive you. This is your prayer if you want to be born again. Maybe you're over the internet. Maybe you're sitting here. I don't do altar calls. I have nothing against them. I just don't do them. Because whether you walk up or you sit there, if you play games, you're going to walk out the same way you came in. If you're serious with God, you will never, ever be the same. 23 years ago, my friends thought I smoked the big one when I got saved. Ah, it's a face. He'll get over it. I'm 64 years old. They're still waiting. One of my friends and the heroin and everything else for 40 years praying for him. Two years ago, I buried his mom. 40 years, he came to the Lord. 40 years. You never stop praying. You never, ever believe that someone's out of the reach of God. God's the one who saves. We don't save ourselves. If you want to be born again, this is your prayer to God. You can repeat after me. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.